As we get a hold of God's promises and pray our way through fear, God begins to change our perspective. He gives us a new vision of faith. We begin to see what God sees. This is the seventh message in the series, How Prayer Changes Things. The message is entitled, Show Me. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, today we're involved or continue to be involved in a series of messages called How Prayer Changes Things. We've been looking at the impact of prayer in our life. An effective prayer really connects us to God and connects us to the resources that God has for us. And what we've been attempting to do over the summer is to encourage you to ramp up your prayer life, to begin to pray uh, more effectively and to pray more diligently in your life because God does answer your prayers. And a part of what uh, this prayer, uh, this, this call to prayer has been about is for you to learn how to pray effective prayers for yourself. Now, there could be an entire series on learning how to pray for other people, and we certainly should be praying for others. You should be praying for other things, but there's an appropriate time, an appropriate process in your life and my life for us to pray for ourselves, because if you're in a bad shape, other people around you are going to be in a bad shape as well, and so you need to be strong edified, strong in your spiritual journey. There's nothing wrong in praying for yourself, but you need to learn how to pray for yourself and your own needs the right way. And so today we're going to talk about how to deal with one specific enemy that will come up in your life through and how you deal with it through prayer effectively. And we're going to take a look at a story in the Old Testament, very similar to a story we looked at last week in the life or the ministry of a prophet by the name of Elisha. The story is found in the book of 2 Kings. I'm going to read to you 12 verses, longer than I normally would read for you, but I want you to get the full context of these verses for you today. I would really encourage you perhaps today or sometime this week to go back and read this story in your own devotional time, but it's an amazing story of prayer and what prayer does for people uh, from the life and ministry of Elisha. Let me read for you. When the king of Aram, now when you read Aram, it's modern day serious so that you will understand a little bit more about what the, what the, it was north, the northern uh, section above Israel there. When the king of Aram or Syria was at war, at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. So oftentimes, the, during this particular time in Israel's history, this king of modern day Syria wanted to attack Israel, and so he put his battle plan together and told his officers, on such and such a day, we're going to attack Israel at such and such a place. Now, let's continue on. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans, the Syrians, are planning to mobilize their troops there. So as soon as the king of Syria would tell his officers, we're going to attack Israel on this day and at this place, God would speak to Elisha and tell him the king of Syria's plans, and Elisha would go to the king of Israel and tell the king of Israel, be careful, don't go to that place, because there's an attack planned against you. I call that a real prophet. How about you, okay? He's warning the king, the king of Israel, don't go there. Take a look at what happens continuing here. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. 
he called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Here's this king of Aram or Syria. He's scratching his head, trying to figure out every time I make a battle plan and I tell all my officers to go to this place on this date, Israel doesn't show up there and they've been warned who is the bad guy among us, who is the traitor. He was sure that somebody was passing on the plans. It was a spy in his midst to spy for Israel. There was no spy. God was the spy, amen? God saw everything that was going on and Elisha was simply reporting it. Continuing on. Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It is not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. I mean, you know, that's dangerous right there, okay? King is not, we're not telling anybody But Elisha hears from God, and Elisha knows everything that you say. God, because God knows everything you say, even what you say in your very own bedroom when the doors are closed. Notice the response. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded. Go find this Elisha so I can send troops to seize him. To do what? This is very important. So now... The king of Aram or Syria, modern-day Syria, is angry. He wants to find Elisha, and he's going to seize him. He's going to destroy him. More than likely, he's going to kill him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan, so they knew where he was. He was at this particular place. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army, not a small army, but a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha's servant, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes. What did Elisha do? He prayed, O Lord, open his eyes. Let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. That's an angelic host there. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, you've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. That is, they were in a place that no longer posed any threat to Elisha whatsoever. This story is an amazing story. It is rich with meaning. It is rich with application for all of us. And today I want to share with you three truths that will help you to pray more effectively in your own life. Here's our first point point for today. Prayer helps us see the dark behind the dark. In times of life, things can be very dark for us. 
But I want to remind you today that in the darkest times, that darkness is not just darkness that is humanly uh, uh, originated. It is darkness that comes from a dark one. And when you're going through dark seasons, there's a dark one who wants to darken your soul. He wants to make you worried and afraid. We'll get to more of that in just a moment. But he wants to add darkness to your life. This story begins in a very interesting way, as I pointed out a few moments ago. Here's Elisha reporting to the king of Israel any time the king of Aram or Syria was going to attack him, and he's simply doing what he was supposed to do as a prophet. He is fulfilling his ministry. He is doing good work. Would you agree that what Elisha was doing was very good work for Israel? He was fulfilling his role as a prophet. He was doing the work of God. He was advancing God's kingdom, but nevertheless, in the midst of doing the right thing, this king of Aram. Aram, this evil king, decided to attack him and to destroy him. He believed the best way to deal with his problem was to somehow eradicate Elisha from the equation, to somehow get rid of him. And the story really begins to unfold as this king of Aram decides to destroy Elisha. Elisha now comes under attack. Here's what I want to say to all of us today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, attempting to do the work of God, attempting to live a life that will honor God, I promise you, you are going to come under attack. If you're doing nothing for God, chances are the devil's going to leave you alone. Okay. But if you're doing anything from, for God, if you're trying to serve God in any way, I promise you, you're going to be attacked at times, and there is a dark behind the dark. And that dark behind the dark represents the evil forces that come against us as believers. I want to help us today to understand that we as believers are in a spiritual battle. You cannot see into the heavenly realms, but in the unseen realm, there's certainly the kingdom of light, and we'll talk a bit more about that as we go through the story, but there's also the kingdom of darkness. The Apostle Paul warns us of this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Notice this, authorities of what kind of world? The unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Dear ones, please understand today that as a Christian believer seeking to follow Christ, you are going to experience spiritual attacks in your life. I'm not saying that to make you feel afraid. You have no reason to be afraid, as you'll see from the story today, because God is greater than any attack that may ever come your way. You never need to worry about that in that regard, but you do need to be vigilant. You do need to be aware of the fact that that we are in a battle. There's a heavenly battle that's going on. And we're here on earth. We can't see it all, but we experience the, the aspects, the impa- impact of spiritual warfare. Peter reminds us of this. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to 
So what is the enemy, Satan, doing in all the hordes of hell? They're, they're moving about in the unseen realm. And again, I'm not here to make you afraid today, but to remind you of a reality. The enemy is moving around in an unseen world of darkness. You can't see him, but he's very real, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking where, who, how can I devour? How can I eat that person up? The actual word for devouring here in the Greek language can also mean to drown? How can I push them under and keep them down until they have no more breath within them? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11, Paul says this. He says, so that Satan will not outsmart us. We don't want Satan to outsmart us for we're familiar with his evil schemes. The only way you can avoid being outsmarted by Satan is to be what? Familiar with with his evil schemes. If you don't recognize his schemes, chances are you and I will fall prey to them. So I'm going to give you four of the schemes of the enemy today. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just simply meant to get you started thinking about knowing the schemes of the evil one and how he works in our lives. The first scheme the enemy uses is to bring about distractions in your life. Satan will seek to draw your attention away from the things that are really important. Certainly, he will try to draw you away from relationship with God. He tries to get you focused on uh, problems that will distract you and, and possessions that will distract you and pleasures that will distract you. He wants to pull you away from your attention upon that which is really important and first and foremost, that relationship with God. The second scheme of the enemy, and you know this word well, he does it through temptations. Temptation is an enticement to do something that would be contrary to God's word and to God's will. And the temptations the enemy will bring our way, they always are are, are very tricky and cunning. It's like a fisherman trying to catch a fish. You never throw a, a, just a, a hook in the water. You put some bait on that hook to, to attract that fish and draw them in or to lure them in. That's where the idea of a fishing lure comes from. And so the enemy knows our various weaknesses and he casts a lure in our direction to, to sort of hook us and bring us in and to trap us. And ultimately, he wants to destroy us. So there's distractions, there's temptations, and thirdly, here's a word that many of you will be very familiar with. He wants to interrupt your life through just simple agitations. Have you ever had stuff just get stirred up in your life out of, out of the blue? It's like, where did that tornado come from? Like things were going well, then all of a sudden, boom, everything seems to be falling apart, and trouble seems to be happening all around you, and all your problems are tag-teaming other problems, and they're all jumping on you in the ring, and it seems like you were fighting one thing, and now you're fighting 20 things in your life, and all these things are agitated around you. The devil is a great agitator. He's a stir-upper. Okay. He likes to stir stuff up in your life and stir stuff up in your world. And when there's an out-of-the-blue agitation happening in your life, you need to see the dark behind the dark, okay? And then there's a fourth thing that some of you may not, you may be familiar with it experientially, but you may have never put this word on it. It's a device of the adversary. He likes to fill your life with a sense of foreboding. Foreboding is, I'll give you another word for it, it's despair. 
It's a sense of hopelessness, which is what despair means. It's just a sense, I'll give you just a few other words here. Heaviness. I'm not talking about the kind that you weigh on a scale there. I'm talking about in your soul, okay? And I'll put another word down here. Oppression. Has there been a time in your life where it just seemed like all of a sudden this heaviness came on you? It's like, where did this come from? It's just you feel oppressed and you feel just heavy and just like you can't seem to get a handle on things and it feels like I'm not sure things are going to work out. There's just this echoing sense of despair and hopelessness that begins to, and you're fighting it and maybe you don't completely give in to it, but Satan wants to put a heavy burden on you. He wants to put an oppressive burden on your life and he wants to fill you with a sense of anguish and darkness and heaviness of soul. It's one of the tactics of the adversary. And the reality is, is as, as faithful believers in Jesus, Christ. You say, well, is that me? Well, yes, I believe that's you. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You're in the house of God today. You're seeking to do God's will today. You're seeking to do God's work in your life today. You're concerned about your relationship with God. You wouldn't be here if you weren't concerned about your relationship with God. So I want to promise you, you're going to encounter spiritual attack. And when these dark things show up in your life, Understand that prayer will help you see the dark behind the dark. Okay. Very important. Here's the second principle for us today. Prayer helps us unmask our fears. In this story, one of the things that is brought to the forefront in the story is fear. It's not, the fear, it's not fear on the part of Elisha, it's fear on the part of Elisha's servant, the young man who worked with Elisha. Before we talk about him, let me talk about us for a moment. Because while the devil traffics in all kinds of things, as we just mentioned a moment ago, gave you four of them, he traffics in all these, he tries to pawn off on us all these kinds of things. His primary weapon, listen closely, his primary weapon, his specialty is fear. The devil has a PhD in fear. It's what he's disciplined, if you will, himself in. It's what he really wants to propagate in the world around us because fear is the opposite of God because God is love and perfect love cast out fear. And so fear is actually the opposite of what God wants us to experience. Now, there's a certain kind of fear that we need to have with God. It's called the fear of God. That's reverence for God and who he is and what he wants to do in your life and obedience to him. That's a proper kind of reverence and fear. But, but the other kind of intimidating fear, it always comes from the pit of hell. It always comes from the realm of darkness because this is the primary weapon Satan wants to use in your life. And the element of fear shows up in this story, as I mentioned a moment ago. How does it show up? Well, here is this young man who wakes up one morning after the king of Aram has sent all this massive great army against Elisha, and they've surrounded the city. Not only the army, but chariots as well have surrounded Elisha and his servant. Two against, we don't know how many. And Elisha's servant wakes up one morning, and he looks up, and he sees all these around, and what is the first thing he feels? Help me out. What does he feel? Fear. 
the very same thing that you and I feel at times when we're under spiritual attack. Many of us even today are battling with a significant amount of fear. It's the, it's the work of the adversary. I'm not saying in any way that you should feel bad that you're battling with it. It's just reality. It's part of living in the world. I battle with it just like everybody else does. But the key is you've got to battle with it. You don't give in to it. You've got to fight it. Okay? If you don't learn how to fight it, you're going to be in trouble. So let's talk about fear for a few moments. Let's talk about what it does to us because... Immediately, as we saw a moment ago, Elisha told him, don't be afraid. And then he prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes. So before he prayed, he said, don't let fear get into you because fear is going to block you seeing what God wants you to see. And so don't be afraid. And then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And the servant's eyes were open. And he saw, as we'll see in a moment, all the various angels of God surrounding him. And he began to realize that God is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And he begins to realize that everything's going to be okay. But he had to deal first with his fear. And why does the adversary want to propagate fear in your life? I'll give you four reasons for this. Number one, fear freezes our thinking. As soon as fear comes in, your mind locks down. Have you noticed that? As soon as you begin to be afraid, you begin to be paralyzed and immobilized in your life. And, and, and it freezes your thinking. It freezes good decision-making capacity. So it freezes out good logic, good reason. It freezes your ability to move forward, as we'll talk about as a part of this. And then second of all, it does this. It exaggerates the negatives. Is that not what fear does in your life? Whatever fear, whatever is negative in your life, fear makes it look really bigger than it really, really is. It makes it seem worse than it is. And when you're afraid, you start seeing monsters in every corner, okay? You remember that as a little kid, right? You wake up in the middle of the night, and you're sure there's a monster in your closet, okay? And it's only a shadow. If you have little kids, you have to remind them, no, let me show you. Let's turn the light on. There's nothing here. But when you're afraid, fear begins to exaggerate everything in your life. And what didn't look so intimidating before suddenly looks big and very scary and very intimidating in your life. And you feel impending doom on every corner. Then the third thing that fear does for us, A, it arrests our progress Every time you begin to be afraid, it's just a matter of moments or a matter of time or season before you go into retreat mode. Instead of going forward, you start going. You certainly, go, you certainly are standing still, if not, in fact, going backward. It deprives you. I think about all the times that fear has deprived me of some of my greatest joys and experiences. I couldn't experience the joy of the moment because I was so afraid. I couldn't experience the joy of a relationship because I was so afraid. The joy of an event that happened because fear had a place in my heart is true for all of us. It reduces our commitment to God and to his will. It actually immobilizes and it arrests our progress. And then the R stands for it robs our peace and our confidence. It takes away your trust in God and your trust in God's word. It sort of rapes and robs the potential of your mind and heart, the resources of your life. You become a victim of fear. And I just wonder today as I'm sharing this message, as I'm ministering God's word to us here as the people of God, 
How many of us are today victimized by fear? We're the victim of fear. Fear has put us in a jail cell, and that's where we're living. But I'm, I've come today to tell you Jesus has the key to your cell. Amen? Amen. He has the key that will break you out. Because that's not the plan. Elisha's servant was about to be swallowed by fear. And that's why Elisha, before he even prays for him, he says, do not be afraid. And that leads to the third lesson and final lesson for today is that prayer is what helps free us from our fear. It's a very simple statement. It's not some profound point that I'm making. You could learn that in Sunday school. But the reality is we don't really know it well. We must be reminded that if we're going to come out of fear, what must we do? The way out of fear is not the only way out of fear, but it's the starting point for coming out of fear, and it involves prayer because God is the great liberator. God is the great emancipator. God desires to free you from everything that's keeping you from being all he created you to be. Anything that God created you to be, if there's a limitation on your life holding you back from being everything God created you to be, Jesus came to set you free from that. See, fear not only needs to be unmasked, it also needs to be overcome. And throughout the pages of the Bible, we see God delivering people from all kinds of things. But just as surely as Satan specializes in fear, God specializes in delivering people from fear. Okay. Look at the story again. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. You got the picture? Everybody got the picture? Okay. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. It wasn't just, hey, I wonder what we're going to do now. What are we going to do now? What in the world, Elisha, have we gotten ourselves into? What are we going to do now? Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Let's stop for a moment. Let's just go into logic for a little bit, okay? Here's this servant, young man, serving Elisha, and he knows basic math. He knows how to count to two, okay? And he's doing his math, and he's one, two, two, one, one, two, two, one, two, one. I think there's only two of us here, okay? And Elisha's saying, there's more with us than with them. He couldn't see it right now. He couldn't see it because he was living in the natural realm. Boy, do I want to preach on that this morning, Okay? So many of us, we live in the natural. We can't see beyond just what our eyes see and our ears hear and 
what's happening around. I want to tell you, there's a world beyond what you can see with these eyes and ear with these, hear with these ears. And all he could see was what he was seeing in the natural. But Elisha was seeing in another realm, okay? Because Elisha had already prayed. Elisha already had his confidence in God. So he says, don't be afraid for there are more on our side than on theirs. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Sometimes that is the prayer that you need to pray in your life when you're afraid. You need to pray this prayer for yourself. Oh God, would you open my eyes so that I can see. I can see things as we'll talk about from your perspective. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Indeed, there were more with them than those who were against him. And because this young man prayed this prayer, there are four things that I want to conclude with today that happen, that can happen in your life as well, that you're able to start to... Start to what? See. Because if you see what you ought to see... It's going to help you free. It's going to help free you from the fear you will often feel. Okay. What do you need to see? You need to see that God always gives you a helper. I'll explain this to you. Your eyes need to be opened that there's a helper with you. Okay. Let's use the illustration of Elisha and the servant. The servant couldn't see it. But Elisha could see it. Elisha was more mature. Elisha saw things that the servant, the young man, couldn't see. And so Elisha became the helper to the servant to help the servant get where he needed to be. That's why you need good, godly people in your life so that when you get down, somebody can help pull you up. Amen? When you're getting a situation where you, you don't know how, what to feel and how to handle things, you need somebody to come along and say, oh, yeah, God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Somebody that can pray with you and pray for you. That's why we need the church. See, Christianity is not a solo event. Christianity involves us walking together with other believers in Jesus Christ. And so Elisha became a helper. But there's a bigger picture here. Elisha, while he was a human helper, Elisha was an Old Testament shadow, an Old Testament picture, an Old Testament type of the greatest helper you and I can have that will never, ever leave you. He is with you. He's called the Holy Spirit who is at work in your life. He is your helper always when you feel afraid. Take a look at what the scripture says. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it does not see him or know him, but you know him. Him because he lives with you and he will be in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a helper living inside of you. Okay? And when you feel afraid, you need to listen to the voice of the helper, just like that servant listened to the voice of Elisha when Elisha said, do not be afraid. I promise you, in your moments of fear, tune your ears to the spirit of the living God and let the spirit of the living God remind you, do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. 
hear that voice of the Spirit, you will say, well, does that free from fear? Well, exactly it does. Notice as the Scripture continues in other places, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. Today's English version says, for the Spirit that God has given us does not make us timid. Instead, His Spirit fills us with power, love, and self-control. What else do we see here? We see that God gives us his promises. That when you're afraid, you have promises. Do not be afraid. I am with you. That's a promise. A promise from Almighty God. I'm not sure of the accuracy of the statement I'm about to make. But I'm going to make it anyway. You can check me up. Check up on this and see. I don't know for sure. I've done some checking on it. But someone once counted the numbers of fear nots or don't be afraid in the Bible. And I haven't, I haven't personally counted all of them, so I'm just reporting what they said, okay? Um, if the Internet said it, it must be true, right? Okay, so <laughs> I didn't get this from the Internet, okay? But someone counted the numbers of fear knots in the Bible and said there were 366 fear knots in the Bible. Okay. Think about that. How many days are there in a year? 365. And you get an extra one in a leap year. Right? Whether that's true or not, I promise you there are at least 366 fear knots in the Bible, probably more than that. But what we need to remember is that every day of our life, God gives us a promise do not be afraid, for I am with you. How does a promise work? When you pray, you pray the promise. That when you're afraid because you're facing something that you don't know how you're going to handle it. You don't know what you're going to do. And you feel like, I can't do this. And then as you're praying, the helper says, do not be afraid. Remember the promise. What is the promise? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so you pray the promise. And so it gives you the capacity that you need to handle whatever is coming your way. Notice the psalm, Psalm 3, verses 3 through 6. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory and the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I I woke in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. When you pray, you remind yourself that God answers my prayer. I can pray because I know God will answer. He'll do something for me. I'm not just, just sort of saying words or exercising some psychological process. No, when I pray, I'm actually talking to Almighty God, and I'm accessing the resources of God. One of the things I love about the Psalms is the, the 150 Psalms of the Old Testament, many of them written by David. You'll see that as David oftentimes would start out in a very low place, sometimes discouraged or, or depressed or afraid, but he prays his way through to victories because he knows that God answers prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, we read it last weekend. Look at it again. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, our fears, our infirmities, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we Say that word with me. Let me stop there for a moment. As soon as someone says, I will do something, what is that considered to be? 
a promise, and if the person has integrity, it's something that's done. Okay. If I promise I will do something for you, and if I don't fulfill that promise, at the very best, I made it out, I was insincere when I made it. At the very worst, I'm a liar. Okay. God is ne- never insincere, and God never lies. Okay. So when God says, I will do something, you can be assured of the fact that he will do it. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. What is that? That's prayer. There, where? In prayer, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. That means he answers. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. And then when you pray, God will give you a new perspective. As soon as Elisha prayed for this young man, what happened He had a perspective he didn't have before. What was his new perspective? His new perspective was he saw in the heavenly realms, he saw that there were were far more for them than those who were against them. And I want to remind you today, as I conclude, I want you to get this. Not only do you have a helper with you, he never leaves you. The Holy Spirit will never leave you, okay? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside. Honor that gift. Welcome his work in your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek to do everything possible to get let the Holy Spirit control your life. Give way to the Holy Spirit. Welcome him in your life. You have the promises of God. You have all those things. But let me tell you something else you have. Are you listening today? You have a host of angels. They're all around you, okay? You say, I can't see them. Can I have an extra couple of minutes to tell a story today? Is that okay? Have your permission? Okay, if I don't, go ahead and leave. That's fine, okay? But many years ago, I, I told the story a while back. Let me tell it to you again because I think I need to tell it to you today. I was doing some work on a really high chimney. I was putting some siding back up on a really high uh, chimney chase. And I must have been probably 35, 40 feet up. I'm guessing I had an extension ladder, one of the massive extension ladders, and I had it all the way out, I mean, which is dangerous in and of itself. And I was at the very top of that extension ladder, uh, reaching over to try to nail in some siding or something. I was doing something with the siding that I was trying to put up. And the extension ladder twisted and I started to fall. And I can, I remember the feeling of I'm going down. And I could, you know, you that moment where everything kind of goes into slow motion, you know what I'm talking about? But somehow in the middle, and, I, and as, as, as far as I can tell you with integrity, the truth of this situation as I recall it, okay, I'm just giving you the best as I recall. 
it was as though, and I actually believe it happened, that the ladder stopped in midair on the way down and allowed me to flip. I was able to flip under it and to be able to get enough in a position to where when I hit the ground, I could bounce and roll and throw the ladder off. And I hit and bounced and rolled and not a single thing happened to me, okay? Now, you know what I believe? I believe some angels were busy that day, okay? okay. When you get to heaven, you need to have some conversation with your angels, okay? <laughs> Thank you, buddy, okay? Okay? Okay, are you with me, okay? Listen, you don't worship your angels, okay? We don't worship angels, we worship Jesus, okay? But there's an angelic host that has been sur that surrounds us. I couldn't explain it any other way than the fact that I, I wouldn't have made it, I don't think. I certainly would have had a lot of broken bones had it not been for that moment where an angel intervened, I believe, in my life. And there have been multiple moments of that nature. And I want you to know that you have, just like Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what I'm already seeing. Is this in the Bible? This is where I'll conclude today. You need to read Psalm 91. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For He will order His angels to protect you wherever you go. <clears throat> Old Testament. How about New Testament? Hebrews, therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to do what? Care for people who will inherit what? Where does salvation come? How, how do we experience salvation? Salvation comes only one way, okay? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did not say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't believe it that people tell you there are all kind of ways you can get saved. There's one name given under heaven whereby people are saved. That's the name of Jesus. There's no other name, okay? Why? Because Jesus is God, okay? And Jesus proved it, okay? Jesus proved it by rising from the grave. Nobody has ever done that. Jesus said, I am the real deal, okay? I am the Messiah you've been waiting on. I'm the real deal. I'll, show, I'll prove the fact that I am, I am Messiah because you put me in the grave. And three days later, I'm coming up again. You can't keep me down because I am the resurrection and I am the life, okay? And so if you are in Jesus... If you're in Jesus, you are inheriting salvation. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Who is that? If you're in Jesus, that means you. Maybe the prayer you need to pray today, maybe you're facing an incarceration of fear. And maybe the prayer you need to pray today is, Lord, open my eyes. Show me, Lord, what I need to see. And then get ready, because when you see it, you'll remember, if God be for me, who?
can be against me. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, we love you today. Thank you for your word. We're grateful for the opportunity we've had to study today. We ask you to take this word, seal it in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that your perfect love drives out fear, makes us bold and confident in you. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.